So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Spiritual covering, as theorized by those who teach, promulgate, and adhere to it, is an absolute myth. No semblance of the version of spiritual covering taught by its proponents exists anywhere within the pages of Holy Writ. Spiritual covering, in the vein that it is presented by its proponents and proliferators, is an unmitigated lie and complete myth. It is a complete fabrication concocted by the originators of these fallacious doctrines by which to facilitate and perpetuate their purely self-aggrandizing objectives of subjugation, domination, and control of the sheep of God's flock. What the discipleship proponents refer to as spiritual covering is really spiritual control. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. Owing extensively to the aforementioned discipleship shepherding movement and the teachings that were promulgated during that false movement, hyper-authoritarian doctrines and practices have become cemented into the foundation, fabric, and functions of many churches, major segments of some denominations, as well as many of the proto-denominational apostolic networks of churches, ministries, and ministers that have emerged over primarily that last four or five decades. The problem has become so widespread that it has now reached pandemic proportions in Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal streams. One of the chief reasons these scripturally condemned doctrines and practices have been able to proliferate and endure is that they have been going on for so long that the present generations of churchgoers in these ecclesiastical groupings have been spiritually reared in church cultures where domination and control by church leaders is the norm and thus accepted as being normal and proper. 
the purpose of this book is to analyze against the foundation stone of Scripture one of the foundational elements of this hyper-authoritarian ecclesiastical culture, demonstrate its irrefutable incongruity with Scripture, and disabuse believers from acceptance of and adherence to it, thereby liberating them from the invisible chains of psychological enslavement that have been holding them in bondage to the illegitimate authority structures of men that have captivated them. By way of definition, hyper-authoritarianism is predominance or psychological control imposed by spiritual leaders upon their followers or congregants with respect to not only their involvements within the church or ministry, but also regarding the personal and private matters of their lives. Ministries and church groups practicing this illegitimate domination employ various means and degrees of psychological indoctrination and coercion to compel congregants or adherents to subject and conform their personal activities, behavior, and affairs of life to the leadership-prescribed standards, rules, expectations, and collective corporate goals of the church or ministry. The purported pretext for the imposition of this scripturally prohibited religious governance is an adulterated or perverted concept of ecclesiastical authority. Promulgators and practitioners adamantly claim that the mechanisms of manipulation they employ are a perfectly scriptural system of quote-unquote discipleship or quote-unquote spiritual training in fulfillment of the role and responsibility of spiritual leaders to, quote, make disciples, end quote. However, the fact of the matter is, this kind of discipleship exceeds by far the bounds and intents of legitimate, that is, scriptural and godly, authority. This kind of so-called shepherding is not that which is inspired by the good shepherd, but by his arch-rival, Satan. For it is nothing other than witchcraft and unauthorized meddling into the personal lives of God's flock. It is blatant misuse and abuse of authority and is scripturally prohibited usurpation of believers' God-given prerogative or right of personal autonomy. God the Spirit himself declares in his word, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women 
weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 9. Indeed, the full context of this passage indicates what ilk of individual it is who engages in this kind of ungodly, self-aggrandizing governance over others, how others should treat them as well as their ultimate fate. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, as also that of those two came to be. 2 Timothy 3, 1-9 Enjoying this podcast? Please take a minute to pray if the Lord would have you help us with the substantial financial burden of this program. We receive no grants or funding from any organization or government agency and have no other means of support than the gracious and generous giving of our listeners. SLM Inc. bears the entire burden In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash SLMINC to give any amount. Thank you for your gifts, generosity, and graciousness. Such dominating ecclesiastical autocrats indoctrinate followers with fallacious, psychologically enslaving teachings predicated on subtle twisting and outright perversion of Scripture, requiring them 
to strictly adhere to rules and demands set by the leadership if they are to have the approval of and be in the good graces of the leadership as well as the collective group. Ultimately, submissive members are compelled, cajoled, and or coerced to commit everything possible of themselves and their resources unto the support of the group's leaders, mission, calling, and purposes. Nothing could be further from the clear intents and purposes of the genuine gospel of Christ, which is not the bondage of servitude to men that hyper-authoritarian teachings promulgate and produce, but freedom. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. John 8, 31 through 32. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, 1. Concerning the subject matter of this volume, allow me to speak plainly and directly. Spiritual covering, as theorized by those who teach, promulgate, and adhere to it, is an absolute myth. No semblance of the version of spiritual covering taught by its proponents exists anywhere within the pages of Holy Writ, Scripture. I will take it a step further and state straightforwardly and unambiguously, spiritual covering in the vein that it is presented by its proponents and proliferators, is an unmitigated lie and complete myth. It is a complete fabrication concocted by the originators of these fallacious doctrines by which to facilitate and perpetuate their purely self-aggrandizing objectives of subjugation, domination, and control of the sheep of God's flock. Indeed, what the discipleship proponents refer to as spiritual covering is really spiritual control. However, even the use of the word spiritual in this connection requires some qualification because the only thing spiritual about this unauthorized control is that it is inspired by demon spirits of deception and error. 
as we shall discuss later in chapter 9, what the discipleship version of spiritual covering really is, is nothing less than witchcraft and sorcery. When the myth has been thoroughly debunked, as it will be within these pages, it will be clear that this doctrine of spiritual covering, like all the other aspects of the shepherding heresy, is a patently false doctrine of demons being manifested in these last days precisely in accordance with holy prophecy of Scripture that foretells of deception such as this being propagated by the inspiration of demons in the last days, leading to many falling away from the Lord into apostasy. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. With the foregoing as our introduction and backdrop for our discussion, let us now continue on our journey to dissect and analyze this matter of what I see as a diabolical, dastardly, and deceptive myth of spiritual covering or the covering doctrine. It is the centerpiece of the heretical hyper-authoritarian teachings I've previously described, which are the bane of groups and churches that are ruled by autocratic leaders intent upon captivating a contingent of unsuspecting subservient believers to make their personal slaves to construct their private kingdoms and cash cow businesses that they have the unmitigated gall to blasphemously call, quote-unquote, churches. Concerning the subject of prophetic function, the late Art Katz once eloquently wrote, A prophet not only identifies falsity, but he ruthlessly destroys it. There is something about his word that is like a fire. It is plucking up, rooting out, and destroying before it is planting and rebuilding. They not only just bring things into question, but they absolutely reduce it to rubble before your eyes. For you to pick it up after that is to touch the unclean thing. They have identified it, and now you are stuck with that word. Frankly, my hope for the message of this book is that after reading it, the reader will have such a keen knowing of the utter falsity 
of the dastardly spiritual covering doctrine identified and addressed herein that to pick it up afterward would be to touch the unclean thing and by it be defiled. Multitudes of sincere and trusting believers are caught in the virtually invisible web of religious captivation in the churches they attend, the ministries they are under, and the networks they are aligned with, and don't know it. I'm Stephen Lambert, the author of the now classic book on the topic of hyper-authoritarianism or spiritual abuse in neo-Pentecostal churches. Learn more at charismatic-captivation.com. That's charismatic-captivation.com. Five Coverings With respect to our subject matter, the sum of what we will discover in these pages is that there are five coverings mentioned in the Word of God, four of which are authored or made by God himself, and therefore are holy, good, and proper. The other covering is authored by Satan, and therefore is unholy, evil, and improper, and is instituted by Satan's human agents or cooperatives on earth in the natural realm. The Covering of God's Presence The first covering we'll look at is the covering of the mercy seat by the wings of the golden cherubim, which sat atop the ark in the sanctuary built by Moses at the command of, and according to the pattern, given him by God. Exodus 25, 30-9 1 Kings 8-7, 2 Chronicles 5-8. It was between the wings of the golden cherubim that covered the mercy seat that God appeared to Moses and gave him commandments concerning Israel. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony. I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Exodus 25:22. When as long as the tabernacle existed, the high priests would enter the Holy of Holies once a year to sprinkle the blood of bulls and goats upon the mercy seat as a covering for the sins of the people of Israel. The Lord God, Jesus, would appear in a mysterious spiritual form by the Spirit between the two golden cherubim that were affixed to the Ark of the Testimony and suspended over the mercy seat. This mysterious manifestation of the Lord God served as a divine pronouncement that the shed blood had once again been received and accepted by God as temporary symbol 
of the satisfaction of sins of the people, a symbolic temporal propitiation of sin, until the coming of the Messiah, who would effect the final shalom, peace, between God and mankind. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, says the Lord in Scripture. Ephesians 4 Bible College offers 300 cutting-edge, customized, online degree and certificate programs to help you meet that biblical exhortation. Competitive, affordable, pay-as-you-go tuition rates. Learn more at Ephesians4.net. The Covering of God's Righteousness The second covering we'll discuss is actually the first covering mentioned in the Bible. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the book of the beginnings. And then its spiritual counterpart is mentioned numerous times in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. This covering is the most important covering of all, in that this covering, the covering of God's righteousness, is that covering that makes it possible for God to see and regard us as, quote, holy and blameless before Him, end quote. Ephesians 1, 4. See also Ephesians 5, 27, Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Man was originally created by God in His image, and therefore was originally holy and blameless like God Himself. Thus, before the fall, Adam and Eve, because they were holy and blameless, had no consciousness of sin and evil, and therefore no shame, though they were naked or unclothed. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Genesis 2.25 But then, tragically, subsequent and consequential to the fall, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Genesis 3, 7 through 10. The tragic result of the fall of man was that their soulish eyes were opened so that they now had a soul consciousness of good and evil. And through that soulish perception, they now had an awareness or knowledge that they were naked which produced a soulish shame. 
So in an attempt to cover over that inward sense of shame, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings, not understanding that their shame was inward and could not be overcome by outward clothing covering their private parts. That was made manifest when they next, quote, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So also was the fact that man now was stricken with a soulish instinct to run and hide himself from God because as a result of his uncovered, unredeemed sin, he was now afraid of God. Quote, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. End quote. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.